Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 53. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooleman? I'm doing pretty well. As always, my mood on Sunday mornings is like 60% governed by did the Leafs win last night? So, they did. So, generally, it's positive. How about you? Uh, yeah, pretty much the same. Um, <laughs> so, let's talk quickly about the game last night. Uh, do you have any kind of prevailing thoughts from it? Uh, nothing too striking. The reality is we're better than the Buffalo Sabres. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as there are ups and downs in the season and we worried about the Leafs a little bit, I don't think I've ever doubted that was true. They have one really, really good line and they have one really, really impressive rookie defenseman. And I'm not saying they're always going to be terrible. There will probably come a day where Buffalo is scary to me, but not yet. So they should have won, and they did win. And I guess the only things that really stood out to me were, one, it was good to see Freddie let in a couple of rough goals early and then rebound. The first part wasn't good, but I've always thought that Freddie has a pretty special capacity to shut the door even after he's kind of bobbled one. And he doesn't bubble one that often, but it's just you don't see the roof totally fall in on him that often. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of psychologically nice in a goalie. The other thing was that um, Nick Patan scored, which was a lot of fun, and Trevor Moore was really impressive. Which are a couple things that we're probably going to talk about at some more length in a broader sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think the Leafs generally played pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. The... They certainly kind of turtled towards the end, right, in the, yeah. in the, in the third period. Um, and as a result, I, I think the Corsi doesn't tell kind of the, the true story, neither does the expected goals. One thing I noticed, so I have maybe one of the nerdiest hobbies ever when watching Leafs games is that I always have the NHL pay, play-by-play open while I watch a Leafs game. Um, and that's partially because I like tracking things. I like seeing how uh, things are recorded. And... When you start doing that, you start realizing how bad the play-by-play is. Just like mm-hmm. how often you're like, oh, no, that, that did not happen. Right? Or yeah. it's like he did not shoot from there. Right? The NHL shot locations are awful. They are so, so, so bad. And I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if a big reason why um, expected goals models can often be a little screwy is because shot locations are just so imprecise. And I, I don't mean they're off by a foot or two. I mean... There's been shots I've seen, and it happens at least once or twice a game, where someone is like below the face-off dot, and then the shot transports them to above the circles. Yeah, and like that is a huge difference in how dangerous the shot is. Yeah, it's absolutely massive. Um, and one thing this exercise has kind of beat into me is that like, okay, don't put that much stock into single-game expected goals mm-hmm. because it can be a little screwy. And like, I think by and large, it, it, it's by and large, like these stuff, these things wash out over large samples, right? And it's not the end of the world, although it is annoying. But like yesterday, I noticed the um, the play-by-play was kind of all over the place in terms of shot locations, in terms of not recording shots that ended up getting blocked or ended up getting uh, like tipped wide or things like that. This is another stupid thing that NHL play-by-play does. So let's say a defenseman takes a shot. So Jake Gardner takes a shot, and it's blocked by Jack Eichel. That's yeah. recorded as a block shot by Jack Eichel, where Eichel uh, blocked the shot, which is, in of itself is dumb because I'd rather they put the shot location as opposed to where the block shot was. Now, if Jake Gardner does the exact same thing, 
But instead of hitting Jack Eichel, it hits Austin Matthews. Do you know what, how it's recorded in the play-by-play? Uh, Austin Matthews took a shot, right? No, it just doesn't exist. <laughs> that is that whole thing just does not happen. Yeah, like there's just a void of non-event. Yes, that's wow. I did not realize that. I was going off the uh, the principle that it would be treated as sort of like a failed tip or something no, like that. But, no, wow. Okay. Well. <laughs> so, anyways, so there you go. All this to say, um, I think the least played fine, even if the expected goals total was like relatively even. I think, um. It certainly felt to me, and of course this is a biased eye test, but it felt to me like the Leafs were actually generating more of the chances at even strength, especially while the game was competitive, mm-hmm. right, and not heavily biased by score effects. Yeah, well, I, I mean, and the numbers do bear this in a little bit, but I thought the Leafs came out really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, notwithstanding, there were a couple of rough goals early, but they did pretty much everything they had to do, uh, again, against a, a pretty limited team. So, yeah, by and large, you know, it's good. Win the games, you got to win. Um, I am still a little surprised at how utterly Buffalo has cratered. I really yeah. thought that they had racked up enough points that they would just sort of slide into a playoff spot. But they're not going to, it looks like. so. They played like 60-point hockey for 35 games at this point. Like, it's been yeah, a long, it's... long struggle for them. Now, that you know, if you look at their lineup, you do immediately say, like, it screams we have no depth at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about the Ryan O'Reilly trade that they made with St. Louis. That looks unbelievably bad at this point. It looked dumb at the time to me. They traded. Uh, I think it looked dumb at the time I think to everybody. part of the reason was that, like, they traded O'Reilly in order to, like, make room for, like, middle stat down the middle. And then middle stat mm. turns out it's not that great right now. No. Uh, certainly not as for... good as Ryan O'Reilly. And one part of the deal, maybe, maybe this... Maybe what I just said is inaccurate, and that's not one of the reasons why they did it. But, like, I cannot think of a better player to insulate a young, skilled scorer with than Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, like, he can take, at like, whatever minutes you want to dish out at him, and he will play them quite well. Great two-way player, great offensive player, doesn't take a ton of penalties. Like, just... You know, before we got John Tavares, I remember us discussing briefly that, like, a pretty nice secondary plan would be to see if we could leave her Ryan O'Reilly out of Buffalo. Yeah. And that was always going to be tough given they probably prefer not to trade him to us, but he's really, really good. You know, he's now the blues first line center and the blues are killing it. Um, whereas the Sabres, I mean, you got to think things would be a lot better for them if they still had him, but they don't. Right. And so, it's like, you know, you had, there's no law that prevents you from having two good centers, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> It's like the Edmonton thing with wingers where they're just sort of like, we don't want us to get dangerously skilled up front, you know? Um, that would be cheating. One of my favorite um, things, when when the Leafs played the Oilers, um, like a, earlier this week, I guess, um, and like they kind of blitzed them in, in the second period and just like blew the game wide open. And after the game, Luchit said something like, oh yeah, we, we got into playing a skill game instead of like a grit game. And it's like, that's like the, yeah. the most hilarious self-own ever. <laughs> we, we tried to play we're the game. We're not a good team. We tried to play the game, like, to see if who was better at it. And we, sh- we can't do that, because we're never going to win if that's the case. Yeah. We don't want this to become a contest of hockey. <laughs> if it does, we're finished. Um, yeah, so I don't know about that. But anyway, the thing about Buffalo is they still have a lot to recommend them. Yeah, I mean, Dalian's um, great. 
Eichel's great. Yeah. And look, you know, they have the core pieces in a row. I think they're going to end up probably paying Jeff Skinner possibly on the high side. Yeah. Just given his recent thing. But they are getting to the point now where it's like, even if it's an overpay, you got to keep some good players now. Like, you yeah. can't do the perpetual rebuild machine where it's like, oh, we're going to trade him away for picks. Ryan O'Reilly was a mistake, and Skinner has some chemistry with their franchise So it's like, at some point, we got to build. We can't just rebuild. Um, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially, I know that grammatically that made especially no sense, when, but it made sense in my heart. When Darlene's making so little, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when he comes off his contract, off his ELC, he's going to be making 9, 10, 11 million. Yeah, I strongly suspect that. Like, right? and, you know, it, it's tough to project, but like he already looks like his trajectory is I am going to seriously contend for a Norris Trophy very soon. Yeah, and it's also, this is something I've, I've, I've considered, and obviously this is looking a gift horse in the mouth, and it happened to the least with, with Matthews, and it's going to happen with Marner and Neander, or it happened with Neander, it's going to happen with Marner as well. But like, when you get these elite players who are highly drafted, that mm-hmm. kind of increases their salary expectations. It's kind of anchored into it in my opinion right like it makes a difference i think right so with dalin he looks amazing he's going to be amazing but but, and because he was a consensus first overall pick that's like he's already saying like look i've been great at every single point this is not a fluke this is who i am pay me a shit ton of money and they will right and you you do that happily because players like austin matthews or jack eichel or rasmus dalin don't come around that often right but if you could get the same player as, like, a sixth-round pick, it's probably better. Yeah, that's the ideal. Just draft uh, Henrik Zetterberg or whoever every single yeah. time. That's the trick. But I think that that's a good point. That's also something, I think, relevant to discussions of guys like uh, Nikita Kucherov, for one thing. You know, he signed Braden Point. That, uh, Braden Point, exactly. So Kucherov was a second-round pick. Point was a third-round pick. If Point signs at a discount, I, I wonder if, if that has any impact, I think the fact that Kucherov hadn't quite reached his current insane level. Kucherov has like, what is it now? 106 points? Something, something like that. Like that. Yeah, like this is just preposterous. But An- uh, Another person who might fit into this, Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, yeah. Sebastian Ajo point. is better than Mitch Marner, I think. And that's not a slight on Marner. It's just Sebastian Ajo is incredibly good. Yeah, you know, we were talking about it because we took Travis Dermott one spot ahead of Sebastian Ajo. And Mike Babcock, I, if I recall correctly, actually said we were looking at the two guys mm-hmm. and we ended up going with Dermott. And sometimes if you mention this to, to Leafs fans, they'll say like, well, we really need defensemen. You know, I think we're, I'm okay with Travis Dermott. I'm happy with Travis Dermott. The reality is if you have a choice between him and Sebastian Ajo, that does not take more than one second to decide in favor of Sebastian Ajo. Yeah. It's just how it is. Like, Dur- Dermot's a, a good pick at 34, wherever we took him, right? It's yeah, just, we should be Ajo, really happy with Ajo. would have been you know. an absurd pick. Like, a really, really good pick. One of the best picks um, in recent memory because of how good he is. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's leading Carolina on... You know, we had that whole conversation about how Carolina seemed to be doing something systemically because their shooting percentage was so low for so long. We, and... I remember, like, at some point I mentally crossed the Rubicon there, and I was just like, you know what? They have to be doing something. There's no way they sustained this lowest shooting percentage for, like, five years. And as if I summoned it into the world with my thoughts, so I'm assuming, yeah, I control the fate of the Carolina Hurricanes or something. But one, they traded for Niederreiter, 
which was a huge steal. They basically got a first line forward for free. (laughs) Yeah. They they got rid of a below replacement level player. (laughs) Yeah, like Evolving Wild, who are a, you know, they're uh, among the foremost uh, statisticians in the hockey public sphere right now, and also they're Wild fans. Um, They were immediately, like, devastated with this trade. They were like, this is going to be Forsberg for Erat level of robbery. And wow, it didn't take long to, to look really, really bad for Minnesota. Yeah. But Carolina looks to me like they're going to do it. I think they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah. They're really killing it right now. So I think, to be them. fair to us, we did hedge what we said with like, yeah. we, ha- we I think we said like, you have to look a little deeper than saying it's just luck, right? Yeah. Because at this point, it's been, there's it, it happened for so long that you're, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't look into it further. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we were true kind of politicians about it. We didn't say anything definitively. No one can use that against us. You see, that that's the key structure of our podcast is everything is on the one hand, on the other hand. And if we equivocate enough, we can never really be wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I just actually, while we're here on uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, because I think this is sort of relevant, uh, they're doing increasingly wacky celebrations after wins. Mm-hmm. I recognize this isn't even really a hot take in the circles of hockey fandom that we run in, but good for them. Yeah. If it makes them happy, if it makes their fans happy, like there's excitement around that team in a way that I don't think there has been in a few years. And it coincides with this and good for them. And while I'm on the topic, it's totally understandable that Isles fans booed John Tavares. It is also totally understandable that Leafs fans cheered John Tavares. I am a little skeptical of anyone who thinks that it's wrong to cheer for your player? I Like, I, I get, you know, the hashtag stuff and all that sort of stuff. You can say it's a bit cheesy. But, like, just giving the guy a, a round of applause or something, as the Leafs did last night to John Tavares, is a bit like, that's called enjoying your players, yeah. I think. Sports is supposed Isn't to be that... fun. Like, this, this is what I don't... Like, yeah. This is supposed to be an escape from reality. It's supposed to be something that we enjoy. Why do we have to treat it like you know wear suits in a in a business meeting or something like like chill out yeah i think and I, I think we all get a bit of this because we all sort of recognize that we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and so as you get kind of older and more cynical or whatever you kind of have a bit of ironic sports watching you, you know what i mean it's almost like you know like oh yeah the leafs are gonna let me down again Typical Leafs blowing a lead. Typical Leafs going to lose to Boston in seven games in the first round. Or something like that. But you, like, hedge and make it so that, like, even you know that it's kind of stupid to watch sports or something like that. And I totally get that impulse, and I have some of it. But it's like, you're allowed to enjoy good things for your team. Uh, And, you know, some of this was enforced by fans of other fan bases too who were just sort of like oh it's so embarrassing that the Leafs feel the need to applaud their stars man every other fan base thinks that it's embarrassing that we exist and by the way there are some legit embarrassing things about Leafs fandom don't get me wrong there are a lot we spent 10 Um, minutes talking about cat shit guy last week so yeah like we're aware honestly yeah cat shit guy right there that's a legitimate burn I mean I don't know what to say about that but uh you know, just cheering for your players. It's like, would you not do the same for your players that you like? <laughs> I just, I'm just baffled that anyone thinks that it's like a super good burn on Leafs fans. It's like, oh man, you like that first line center who grew up watching your team and came home and signed with your contending franchise? You suck. 
It's like, okay, you got us. We've been owned. Anyway, just th that whole, it, this is a whole dumb thing. I, I don't want to spend too much time about it, and we should get back to talking about hockey, but just seeing that whole wave of stupid snarkiness kind of made me want to rant about it briefly. Yeah. Um, also, while we were on the subject of Minnesota, the Leafs need mm. to make a trade with them. They're dumb. <laughs> They're dumb. They're really dumb. They were going to trade Jason Zucker for Michael Frolik. Yeah. Okay. So like, is that, that that's kind of like that's crazy, unreported. Like, Jason Zucker's really fucking good. Yeah. He's their best there was a, I know there was a deal with Calgary that apparently fell apart for Jason Zucker at the last second. If it was for Frolik, that's bananas. I can look it up now. Um, but like, wow. <laughs> it was for like it may have been for, for leaking like a pick, but yeah. But even so, like, mm. I mean, now I get Minnesota's in a weird sp space right now because they have those contracts to Parise and Suter that go on forever because they were signed under the previous CBA where like every contract was just thirteen years and it dived at the end. Yeah, but there's gonna be a period where those guys are still playing, but are not retired, and it's going to cost them a lot of money for not all that much performance although they, they just signed eric stall at what looks like a pretty great discount yeah even granted he's I've, old i've been coveting eric stall for the leafs for a long time um basically since he left carolina actually uh and that's an annoying deal that seems like a deal where stall was saying you know what i don't want to move yeah and you know what i, I totally get it at his point in time I, I do honestly think that you know when you're 35 and you've signed quite a few contracts in your life and you've made enough money you probably think and he's won a happy he's here, won a cup too so yeah and, and so you know one of uh the things that uh elliot friedman says and i think this is one of the wiser things that he says but he says don't mess with happy if you're happy where you are and you're content with all the implications of your decision then yeah stick around so yeah i get that but I, you know it would have been nice to have him because he's still very effective um, and underratedly so, but yeah. I, so I don't know what the wild are doing as a franchise yeah. right now. Sorry, so because... I, just, I just looked this up. Um, it was, it was in the yeah. athletic. Uh, I think LeBron reported it and Mike Russo, Chris Russo, some, the Minnesota guy whose last name is Russo. I'm sorry. I don't remember the first name. Um, but apparently it was, yeah. Zucker was nearly traded to the flame. Sources say that it would have been for a package that included veteran Michael Frolik and a draft pick. Wow. I mean, uh, unless there's, like, another thing that's included that's not being enumerated there, that is highway robbery. That's, yeah. Like, Frolik's a good for a good player. He, he is, but he's also yeah. he's also 30 years old, right? He, yeah, and, and, like, has not consistently got into the lineup with the Flames. So, like, even though I think you could say, well, he's a, good, he's a better player than that, he should be getting consistent ice time, and I think that's true, but... Just from Minnesota's perspective, you'd think that, like, the, the warning light would come on when it's like, hey, are we trading for a guy that this team doesn't want to play? And are we giving up one of our best scoring forwards from a team that is not exactly swimming in offensive talent? And um, so guess what, uh, whether Zucker's having a good year or a bad year by shooting percentage? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, right? Zucker's on a, if, if, on a good deal, too. So he's 27 right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Is making 5.5 mil after the season for the next four. That's, I think, a decent contract for a player like him. Um, yeah. Assuming you don't think his shooting concerns are like a long-term thing, which I don't because he's been a good shooter in the past. He's a very good possession player. He's younger than Frolik. Like, I... Frolik's a, U a UFA after next year, too. So you're giving up like 
five years or four and a bit years of a good contract for a worse player who is older on a shorter contract and a pick of some kind. <laughs> that makes no sense. That makes yeah, no it's sense. It's like, even if it, I, I don't even know if the Flames still have their first, actually. Um, I can check that. But if they do, it's going to be quite a late first. So, like, I don't think that there's a scenario where that trade is remotely um, fair for the Wild. And yeah, the Flames do have, have their, their first. first. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering if it was somehow tied up still in the harmonic thing. I think, but was I that, guess they've. Maybe it was last year's first, or maybe it was just yeah, a Yeah, they might have discharged their obligations there. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that's uh, that's really questionable. But, you know, if you get a, a GM who's kind of in a desperation rebuild thing, which maybe they are, or a retool thing, like, the ideal time to take advantage of another GM is when they're kind of reacting emotionally or when they're coming in with a mandate to do something desperate which I think is what's happening with Minnesota because they're tired of the Minnesota curse where they just languish around like, you know, 10th to 7th in the conference every year and they make it and lose quickly in the playoffs or they don't make it and just don't draft high enough to really improve their team. I get why stagnating at that level for a long time would kind of make you crazy. But if so, you know, we should really look at that. Um I coveted their defenseman for a long time. Uh, if they've gotten dumb about how valuable Jared Spurgeon is. That's yeah, that's the name I was about to bring up. Like, Yeah. Uh, now, now, granted, uh, Jared Spurgeon would only have one year left, so it would be sort of a complicated acquisition there, but he's a really, really good right-shooting defenseman, and I still think that the league will underrate him simply because he's also the smallest defenseman of his caliber that I can really ever remember. Like, he's 5'9". He's Tyler Ennis-sized. But he's really, really good. So Toby Enstrom, yeah. I guess. Toby Enstrom was a smaller guy, wasn't he? But Spurgeon's better uh, than Enstrom. Was he as small as uh, Spurgeon? Let me look that up. But yeah, um, that's a fair well, point. Well, I just remember with en- Enstrom, like, his stick always seemed way too big for him. That I th- And he might yeah. not even be that short. <laughs> yeah, he's 5'10", so he's only slightly taller than Spurgeon. You're right. He's like, he's a smaller guy. Um, but yeah, so... It seems like this might be a good time to pick at the remains of uh, the Minnesota Wild. But, man, like, they are in a a weird state. I think the Kevin Fiala trade, for what it's worth, was pretty sensible for them. I think that was fine. Uh, like, I, th- I think Fiala's yeah. a good player. So is Grant. That, that was an interesting trade because it, it's a good player for good player. Yeah, and you say Granlin's a little better now. Fiala might be a little better later. Like it, it kind of made sense as like a mild buyer seller transaction for both teams. Mm-hmm. You know, the Nashville's are a bit more buyery and the the Wilder a bit more sellery. But yeah, um, man, Spurgeon's numbers are amazing. They they haven't really fallen off at all in the last three years. At least his his puck his like play driving numbers. His yeah, possession they've numbers, always been they're really excellent. impressive. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a guy I wouldn't even mind. He, I think he'll be 32 after next season, right? Or something like that. Or in, in his early 30s. I wouldn't mind signing him to an extension, assuming his numbers hold out. Like, it, it's, yeah, always, that... it's always tricky with guys like mm-hmm. that because when it's gone, it's gone. Right? Yeah. You just you never know when you can get up one year. You, you know what? Um, to, you know, we always love making fun of the Oilers, and I think that that's a just and righteous thing to do. But uh, she really signed uh, Andre Sequeira. And honestly, I don't think that that was a bad move. Uh, it's a little painful for them now because Sakura has succumbed to injuries. Yeah, and that's not but something he gave they them, could foresee. 
Yeah, like he's given them pretty decent defense for a while. And now he's, unfortunately, he's 32 and he's got a couple years left. And so if he can't recover at all, that's going to be kind of a dicey contract. But, you know, I, I do understand wanting to play in that market a little bit just because you have to get good defensemen somewhere. And sometimes they're not, often they're not going to just be like 24-year-old studs that you happen to pick up in a trade. So Yeah, yeah, like it's... yeah. You know, it's, uh, we say this a lot, but it's not a viable plan to be like, let's just rob a guy. Yeah. Right. And they, right if you can do it. I mean, like, what if we're talking can, about it with, with Minnesota, but e- even then it's, you know, it, with Spurgeon, who's the guy I think we're coveting, it, it's basically a rental or a rental plus extension type of deal. So it, it, that that is a bit more, there's less room to rob people there, like, which is why I'm never really that impressed with what people do with, with what GMs who get like high values for rentals. Mm-hmm. Like I, I they're, they're just, they're like saying this guy's available and they ask 30 other GMs and like there's some negotiating yeah. there. I'm oversimplifying it, but it doesn't seem that impressive. It, it, well, the thing is, is that it should be standard operating procedure. Yeah. And you know, Brian Burke has talked about this and as much as we dunk on him and we'll continue to do so, uh, I think you can say that Brian Burke was a good trading GM. That was a strong suit. And he talked about every 10 days, I try to talk to each GM at least once. Like I just try to get them on the phone for a quick exchange. How are you doing? What are you looking like? What do you need? And keep those lines of communication open. And only by doing that regularly, are you going to start finding maybe when a team is really getting frustrated with one of their guys or when a guy is falling out of favor, because the reality is, for you to really rob a team, you have to catch them when they're in a period of devaluing their asset. And that's what Carolina did with Niederreiter. Um, and so you probably only know that Minnesota is, is doing that if, one, you watch closely about his users and stuff like that. But two, you keep talking to Minnesota. And you keep dangling out names saying, oh, is this guy on the table? No, well, we'll talk back later. And you just keep that open and keep noting out what you find. Um, so in terms of, you know, trying to rob someone in a trade, you just have to kind of hope the opportunity comes open. And it may not. It, it may be very difficult for that to fall into your lap in that way. But all we can do is kind of hope Kyle Dubas is doing that. But uh, yeah, I would be certainly calling Minnesota at least, seeing if there's anything else they want to get rid of. Yeah, as you said, like, there's there's so few viable options for the Leafs to get a great defenseman, right? And yeah. I think Muzzin, Muzzin's good. I think he, Muzzin's had a couple kind of meh games recently. Yeah, um, he's had a bad week. Yeah, and he has some... He's a good defenseman in aggregate, but he does some things in particular that annoy me. Um, yeah. He, he's too shoot-happy. Or shot-happy, I suppose. Like, it, yeah, Which, which I, is I an element the Leafs don't it. really have on their blue line, but I think that's a good thing. Because, like, point shots generally are not great shots. They can create rebounds and create slot opportunities. And in fact, the Leafs do create a lot of their offense from from the points, but it's almost entirely kind of shot passes or shot tips, mm-hmm. right? Like Riley's excellent at this. This is one of his genuine offensive gifts where he, he can walk the line, find a hole, and uh, just get the puck to the net in such a way that it'll stick around the, the goal mouth for a rebound or whatever. I mean, that's essentially how the Tavares goal last night was... Um, or like the Tavares goal was a rebound, and obviously those are very, very high-value opportunities. Mm-hmm. And Gardner does a great job of that as well. Muzzin just kind of hammers it 
at the net, like yeah. low and quickly, which is good. I'd rather he do that than like the Polak, you know, release the uh, release the Kraken. Uh-huh. <laughs> Put it through the end board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like I, if I don't know where it's going, the goalie definitely doesn't know where it's going. <laughs> um, oh man! But yeah, it's just I think he does that a bit too often. And then the other thing is like, and maybe this is just unfamiliarity with teammates. But there's times where I see him when he's playing with like, he 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 has the puck and either like Marner or Nylander, for example, are like curling up the ice with him and they have their puck on the stick, like crossing their own blue line, and he passes it to someone who is not them, and. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe this is oversimplifying it. If they are on the ice and they are open in the neutral zone, you give them the puck. That I mean, that should be your preferred play most of the time. Like, they're, they're, Marner and Enid are, are our two best puck carriers by, I think, a pretty decent margin and our two best passers by, I think, a pretty decent margin. Mm-hmm. If they are open and they have space, give them the puck like 100% of the time. Because the, the, yeah. that is by far our best chance to get into the zone, right? And... This is just me, like, eye testing. I don't know if there's any stats that back this up. This could just be me seeing things. But um, Muzzin's, like, looked off those guys a couple times in lieu um, or instead doing, like, a, a longer pass to, like, fucking Connor Brown or some shit. <laughs> or, or, like, a Zach Hyman tip it. And it's like, okay, look, I like Zach Hyman a lot, but I don't want him have, touching the puck in the neutral zone if we can avoid it. Yeah, that's not really what he's for. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's it's easy to kind of see these trends. And, of course, it's always an evolving thing as he gets more comfortable as he sits in. Yeah, um, he, in the he, Islanders... I think he's good. It, it's still a good trade. I still like Muzzin. <laughs> he's still, especially with how bad or how decimated our defense core is now, It's I'm so glad we have him because he helps a great deal just having another reliable, good defenseman back there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I am contented with it. The only thing that I'll notice is that he will follow the hit to a great extent. You know, we talked about having physical defensemen and what he brings, whereas we do not have a particularly physical defense core besides him. And the flip side of that is chasing the hit. And he did that on one of the Isles goals against, where he just, like, pinched very aggressively to lay the body on somebody. That was, along I think, the 1-1 one, one goal. Yeah. That was a terrible and... pinch. It was, yeah, just the judgment there was just not up to par. If, if, Gar- if Gardner really, really makes that pinch, we're, we're seeing that on, like, <laughs> on broadcast for the next year. Oh, yeah, and then people are saying, like, can you even win if Jake Gardner is within 300 yards of your arena? And, and you know, the thing is, is that Jake Gardner, by and large, does not pinch to throw that hit. He, he pinches for other reasons. The Leafs as a whole are kind of pinch happy, and they count on covering for each other and all that sort of stuff. It was a mistake. All of them make mistakes. And you don't want to uh, define the defenseman by that. I'm just noticing that as a defenseman who is more physical, who does throw more hits, um, he will sometimes take a couple of extra steps in pursuit of that or move a little farther outside of his normal position in order to do it. And that's a trade-off like anything else. It's just something that can potentially blow up in your face. So it's just a, hopefully as he gets more used to us and knowing when he has support and when he doesn't, uh, he can be a little bit more judicious in that. You know, I think that all the same, hockey is a physical sport and I don't think Mike Babcock is averse to having a guy who can throw the shoulder sometimes. So, yeah. It's not going to be that like he ever stops being this it's just he's it's a matter of maybe as his comfort level goes up he he does that with a little bit 
more judgment. By and large, though, still very happy with the acquisition. Yeah, yeah. And I guess this is a good time to segue into the uh, the Leafs' other trade deadline acquisition, or I guess in-season yeah. acquisition in, in Nick Patan. And um, I guess the first thing is, like, this is obviously a pretty quiet move, trading Parland home for Nick Patan. Do you think the Leafs should have done more? Uh... By and large, no, because I consider that Jake Muzzin was part of their trade deadline. They just did it a month early. Yeah. And so if you take that and the totality where it's like they shored up their defense, I'm pretty contented with that. I do see the argument where it's like if we could have gotten Nick Jensen on those terms, I probably would have done it. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah, but I don't know if we could have. I don't know if he would have extended on arrival uh, with us the way that he did with the Capitals. I'm like, I'm not into rentals basically at all like i can't really conceive of myself spending on a rental if i were an nhl gm unless i were in really really specific circumstances i just don't think that it's a good way to run your team uh by and large in terms of asset value unless you're making like very small trades at the margins now that said one a fifth for a second uh, when you look at the draft pick value you know, originally when I heard it reported, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's a second. Okay, good. But, you know, Alan pointed this out to me. He's like, this is actually a fifth for a second. And, like, the change between uh, a fifth and a second is not nearly as much as you would think in terms of the, the difference in real draft pick value. And that means something. That makes the trade probably swing a bit more in Washington's favor. And I think when you add this extension, which I don't think he's going to underperform, it really swings in Washington's favor. So, yeah, I, I would like that. That said, it's one trade that happened between two other parties. We don't know if it was on the table in the same way for us. There aren't too many other moves that I especially envy, except maybe the Mark Stone one, which I don't think was for a myriad of reasons ever possible for us. So God, that would have been fun, though. Yeah. I mean, the thing. <laughs> Let's just only have right wings and centers. The, the, rea- the reality is, even if Ottawa would give Mark Stone to us, like would trade him to us, and I don't think they would. We don't have a single prospect as valuable as Eric Brandstrom. No. Um, just doesn't doesn't look like... I, I mean, you can say Sandin and Ludigrant are like one step down, maybe. That's probably optimistic, even the case of Ludigrant. Yeah, and, and with prospects, it's like... the It's just like with NHL players, right? The elite prospects are worth a lot more than the very good prospects. Yeah. Uh, and so there's no really getting around that so you know what good for vegas and that's fine so by and large i think i'm pretty content with how kyle dubas approached this deadline what do you think yeah i i generally agree big surprise um <laughs> i actually really like the patan trade so so do i it's like it's one of those very little trades yes I like it. absolutely and and like in spending 10 minutes discussing it it's very possible we you know we we spend more time talking about him than time he gets the rest of the year to play Right, yeah. Because he he this year he does seem to be the odd man out. Um, notwithstanding that he did get into a game, presumably for rotation purposes, and it, it's unclear if that's going to happen going forward. Although I'd like to see it. Um, I think yeah. rotating fourth liners is a good idea in general. Uh, yeah, you, you get you keep fresh. you keep people fresh. Yeah, you get different looks. Um, I'm I'm fine with it in in general. Um, Patan's a guy that I've kind of liked for a while, and um, he 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 was coming out. Of, of junior around the same time that I w- that was the one time I was paying attention to to junior and to drafted prospects because the Leafs sucked right and <laughs> in the year since I haven't at all because the Leafs are good now I thank God I don't have to watch another CHL game for a long time 
Um, But, yeah, he's he's a guy who's always had, like, pretty impressive numbers. He's a small guy who plays pretty feisty, which is always, you know, kind of enjoyable player to watch. His NHL numbers really don't give you much to get excited about. But a lot of Jets writers and kind of bloggers and people who know about the team, whose opinion I respect, like uh, Murat Aitz and, and Garrett Hole, um, they really like him, and they feel that he hasn't been given the chance to play with high-skill players. And as a playmaker, um, he's the type of player who I think needs a certain caliber of, of linemate around him, right? And not uh, player value and player success on a line is not linear, necessarily, or it isn't for everyone, right? Where a third-line player who... Um, there's some third-line players who can probably excel on a fourth line with like less talented line mates against less talented competition. There's some players who would succeed when placed higher up in the lineup, but really just don't have the game to to work with lower skilled teammates. Like there's interaction effects, and each player does not exist in isolation, right? Like chemistry and a skill set fitting is a thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's plausible that Pitan um, was just kind of not really deployed in the best spot for his skills. He, uh, in, in Winnipeg, and that seems to be the case. Now, Lindholm, I don't think is that good, right? Like, he was there, I guess. That's the most I can say about him as a player. His numbers are all pretty awful. He's going to be a UFA. Uh, he's older. He has very little upside. So swapping him for Patan, who is younger, has upside, however remote you think the chances are of him reaching that upside is another question. But mm-hmm. he has upside. He's under team control. It, it's just very obviously he's a better asset than, than Lindholm. And I think he actually has something to give. And with the Leafs' fourth line, which <laughs> is like um, one Great Dane and two Chihuahuas right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, I saw someone tweet a, a photo of that. It was I think it was uh, That Silly Helen on Twitter. And it's just like this enormous dog with two little puppies beside it. And it's so emblematic of how that line looks every time. Yeah, and but I, I like it. Yeah, I, I do. I, I don't think they had a great game uh, against Buffalo. Like it was pretty low event. They did get a goal, and it was a very good chance, right? A pass from behind the net into the slot uncovered. That's a high value chance that is underrated by expected goals because shot locate or sorry, um, pre-shot movement and defender positions not taken into account. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I like that line in theory, and in fact, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see the Leafs lean that way even more and just go with. Um, more Patan and Ennis. Yeah, I would be extremely fine with that. It's hard for me to conceive of, like that's like a real new age fourth line. Yeah, I mean e- even even the the two tiny wingers with the six five center is a bit of a it's a bit of an odd match. It's not a very typical fourth line in any sense. Yeah. And I found it funny how like the commentators like, God, oh, this is a really you know skilled fourth line. Like Freddie Gauthier's like lumbering with the puck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, God bless him. Freddy Gauthier is funny. But, uh, yeah, I, the thing that... The description that stuck in my mind for the Patan trade was that it's like a penny for a penny stock. Like, you know what Lindholm is. He's probably not going to be anything else. I sort of suspect he's going to end up back in Sweden, like, next year. Mm-hmm. Um, he might latch on as, like, a replacement-level player somewhere in the NHL or even in Winnipeg if he's if he's up for that. But there's not really much potential value there. Patan, there's that chance uh, of more value coming. Now, you wonder whether we're going to get a chance to see it because 
you know, we talk about getting played with playmakers uh, or with like players with offensive ability. And we've described his center as Freddie Gauthier, who God bless him, but he's not really that. Um, so if there's a chance to move up in the lineup, you wonder if Nick Patan can take advantage of that in some meaningful way. Or yeah, then we have to say, okay, is there a chance of the real new age fourth line where it's really just doggedness and feistiness, but lots of offensive talent that tries to outscore the opposition? I would be really interested to see that. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool to see. And I mean, one thing that makes me feel it's more likely than not, like Gautier is 6'5", but he's not like a mean player. He's not a tough player by any means. He... (laughs) He's a, he's a gentle giant, right? Like, yeah. given his size, he doesn't win as many puck battles as you'd expect. He's obviously not incredibly gifted offensively. I think he's diligent. He tries hard. He He's generally in the right spot, or at least when his skating allows him to be, Which and it has improved. He's He thinks the game well. I think he just doesn't really have the skills to execute. Yeah, like, he, he does his best. And I think that, uh, you know, the knock on him earlier was that he didn't bring enough pace to his game. He brings as much pace as he has in him now. And good for that. But, uh, you know, if you're thinking, can this line do more? I think we've already seen, you know, we see Trevor Moore excelling. And I think there's quite a bit of evidence that Trevor Moore could play up the lineup right now. Uh, Kevin Papetti, who's guested with us sometimes and who writes with us, he said basically the Leafs are playing their third line wingers on the fourth line and vice versa. And I think that's probably pretty close to accurate. Like, I think Trevor Moore can outperform Connor Brown right this instant. Uh, I think it's certainly in an offensive role. Like, I think I think mm-hmm. Connor Brown does provide some defensive value, and he's kind of like a chameleon that will play up or down to his line mates in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you play him with decent players, and he's like, or if you play him with very good players rather, and he's the third worst or third best player on his line, I think that line can be successful, right? But you can't provide you the other two guys need to do everything offensively. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a question of what you want, I guess. But given that I think Connor Brown is extremely gone yeah. as of next season, yeah. uh, like it, it's no longer really possible for me to see a scenario where it makes any sense to keep him, which for a time I did. But he costs too much money for where we really ought to be playing him in the lineup. And I don't think we're going to let Kasperi Kapanen go. Um, if it comes down to Kapanen versus Janssen, this is another thing that we were going to discuss. I think we're going to keep Kapanen as much as I've really enjoyed Johnson on a crazy shooting heater. Mm-hmm. And as much as I think that he is probably the best left wing on the team. Um, so, you know, Connor Brown is either off wing at best or kind of blocked out. And his performance is just not commensurate with that when you can get guys like Tyler Ennis or whoever who can probably give at least more offensive value and who can be pretty useful for a minimum contract so yeah I think it's going to be interesting to see next season as just as an aside with regard to Tyler Ennis if he's down to take like 925 on a one-way guaranteed or even for two years I would do that Definitely. Um, the exposure for the Leafs is so minimal that it doesn't really concern me because, you know, you can send him down to the AHL if it comes to that in the, in the second year. And the Leafs are richer than God, so who cares? Um, but I've really liked what he brings to this team. So 
just an aside there yeah um going back to Patan for a second like yeah the one of the nice things about him is that he does because he potentially has the skill set to play higher in the lineup in next year uh, assuming the Leafs retain his like qualify him and re-sign him as an RFA um next year maybe even going forward like you can play him on a top three uh, you can play him in your top nine and Mm -hmm. it at least conceivably works whereas with like someone like Lindholm if you're playing him in your top nine like the question is like what went wrong for your team (laughs) yeah we had that period Lindholm Kadri Brown was such a funny line to me with like their core suit was like 57 percent and they're all like shots from the boards or whatever (laughs) anyway yeah um so we said we wanted to discuss Janssen um might as well do Mm -hmm. that now so Janssen has, as you said, been on a bit of a heater recently. He's, everything he's touching is going in pretty much. He's a very good player, clearly. Um, and I, th- mm. I think at this point, it's I'm comfortable saying he's an above-average NHL winger. Like, he's a top-six yeah. winger, I think, on almost yeah. every team in the league, especially given that left wing is typically weaker than right wing. Yeah, for whatever reason. Right, and but, uh... Janssen made a what is now looking like a very smart decision. It probably was a smart decision even at the time. Uh, where he mm-hmm. took his qualifying offer last year, basically a one-year deal, and now he has arbitration rights as an RFA this year. So he can potentially argue for a decent salary. And the Leafs really can't afford to give him a decent salary, right? Like, no. they can't afford to compensate him fairly, which is just the reality of it. <laughs> they, they, need no. to, they need to squeeze him. No, and the reality is, if someone elects to offer sheet Andreas Janssen... Um, I could very, very easily see that working if he wants to sign. Like, it's just, we've talked a lot about offer sheet exposure. Again, they don't seem to happen all that much. But if you're going to come at the Leafs, you can absolutely uh, go after Kapanen and Janssen. And whichever one of those the Leafs are more comfortable losing is gone if they're willing to sign offer sheets. Like, there's just there's no getting around it. Um it would be very easy for a team uh, who wants to shore up their left wing to sign Andreas Janssen in like the second round pick range and still to offer him more than we reasonably can. Like we can't pay Andreas Janssen um, three and a half or four million. We just can't. Um, so it's just sort of, I hope we don't lose him. But the fact that he's now very likely going to clear 40 points um, he's going to be a 20 goal man and all that sort of stuff. I, I think he's going to do quite well this summer. And I don't think that there's much we can do about it, except hope that he's willing to sign for a little less to stay here with a contender. I mean, yeah, the that, Leafs that's tried the reality. To lock him up. Yeah. The Leafs tried to sign him last week and he said, yeah, I'm going to wait. Which he and should. You know I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a business and we always talk about the ramifications of the business on both teams and players from where he's sitting he's playing this exactly correctly so good for him um i would be really sorry to lose him yeah because i really like him yeah no me too he's uh, he's a very very good player um mm -hmm. it comes down if if he wants to if he wants to chase money and i don't mean that in any pejorative sense at all i mean if he wants to Mm -hmm. get the highest salary which is his right he is not going to be a leaf it's that simple yeah right um and Yep. So, <laughs> so what can you do, right? So, what that leads to is essentially, um, it, so if this were to happen, let's say a team were to sign him to an offer sheet in like the 
um, second round pick range. The Leafs would, what they would likely do, since you can, I believe, go over the cap in the offseason by a certain percentage, they would, and this is complicated by the offseason long-term IR, which I'm convinced the NHL doesn't actually understand either. I, I think Brandon could just up. tell them whatever they want, and it'll work. So I'm just going to trust that the Leafs can manage the salary cap machinations of it. But the Leafs mm-hmm. would probably match and then trade the contract. Well, they can't trade if they match, right? You can't do that? No, not within one year. Oh, okay. Okay, so in that case, um, the team would probably just levy the threat of an offer sheet, and then the Leafs would try and trade him instead of getting the, yeah. the competition. I'm, I should have known that. Sorry, that's my bad. There's like a pretty decent chance of us losing Andreas Janssen. I just, I'm kind of resigned to that possibility now. I'm not saying it's a certainty. I don't know like what the guy wants more than anything. Uh, if he's happy here and he feels like we're a shot to contend, all of these things can play into it. And it's a good org that is generally believed in him. That said, this is his chance to get money. Like, he's going to be 25 in November. So if he does want to chase the dollar value, he should really start doing it now. Because we, as we've seen with NHL careers, it can get quite tough now um, to earn the same amount of money into your 30s if you're in the NHL's middle class. That's just seems to be the the trend of the league so yeah so if he elects for arbitration do you think the leafs like trade him before during maybe even after the hearing yeah the, the dimensions of that are so odd i haven't looked up the arbitration rules but i don't know like they're in a real spot there where they probably do have to look at okay if we can't come to an agreement with Janssen by early july depending on how it's going they probably have to be at least aware of the market around him like i mean they probably have to be aware in any event but they have to sort of be coming at this from a perspective of there's a pretty decent chance we're not going to get a deal done here like i know we've talked about you should be listening on all of your players all the time but realistically i don't think that there's any serious concern that Mitch Marner is going to leave. Like, we're not really looking at trading Mitch Marner. That's not something that's yeah, seriously on our radar. With Andreas Janssen, it's something that you should be aware of. And you have to look at that in terms of, uh, well, what's the phrase from negotiating theory? Best alternative to a negotiated offer. Offer, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you constantly have to be aware of what can we get in the trade for him? What are we willing to, to do here? Like, for the record, if I'm Edmonton, or someone like that, I am, like, constantly eyeing Kapanen and Janssen. Like, I'm desperate. Edmonton would have to send back salary, though, which is the hilarious part. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, I don't know if the Can they even free up enough to add even, like, a 3.5 million player? I, I don't even know if they can. Like, I don't know their cap situation that well. I, I would imagine they could just jettison some dudes. Like, some, like they must have some expiring contracts, right? You know what? Not really. <laughs> Oh, man. You know what? I was familiar with this, and yet, you know, looking at it again, wow. Like, the Brandon Manning trade. What were you doing, Peter? Because, like, even when you oh, bury wow. that, they, that's they, another million off the cap. They they have they only have, like, maybe four million expiring next year. Yeah. Five, or maybe five or six. That's And then they need to replace some of that with, like, actual roster spot. Like, they can get some guys making league men, but then— I, I mean, if they're smart, they've got to unload geez. Chris Russell which I think maybe they can still do, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and... yeah that's... Um, 
And then this is where it's super unfortunate for them that Sakara got hurt, right? Because he's making five and a half mil. He's not really um, a good player anymore because of injuries. No. Like, they'd almost rather hope he is permanently injured because they can put him on long-term IR. If you have to play him, it's more of a problem, actually. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the the tragedy of the modern operation of the salary cap. But it is remarkable that a team is this screwed with that much um, core talent as they have in their top three forwards. Anyway, but there are other teams than Edmonton who are in uh, in dire need of wingers. And so I do think we have to be alive to the possibility of Andreas Janssen. And I do wonder if the Nick Patan trait is maybe made with some awareness of that possibility. As like a contingency plan. Yeah. yeah. So like, what would you want? Okay, so I guess there's a couple things. What do we think... Janssen's contract might be because like and this is always dangerous because you need to do like an actual detailed comparable analysis for this sort of thing mm-hmm. uh which we haven't done because we don't prepare for this podcast <laughs> um i view pre- preparation so, is cheating frankly yeah yeah so we could be wrong here yeah. uh is, is the point yeah. um I, w- I would guess in the in the threes yeah on like a well, couple years i, like, I mean i was he, hoping what two more years until he's in a ufa right yeah he'll have the 27 um the age 27 thing so, I don't, you know, it's it's tough here because I was hoping originally we could keep him to the high twos. And the more he produces, even recognizing yeah. that he's on a heater, uh, the more he produces, the more he makes that look more and more difficult. Right. And the thing is, even if he's on a heater, yeah, you have to remember arbitrators in like the NHL are not, they're not smart. They're often not subject matter experts. Exactly. So. Like, they're not smart about the NHL. They're lawyers. So uh, they're, they're smart about law, presumably. Um, but th- what they pretty much always do is go right between the player ask and the team ask. And the player ask is going to be based on, like, the raw point totals. Like, that that's by far the biggest predictor, raw point totals. And Janssen's raw point totals are pretty decent. Yeah. And, In part because yeah. he's shooting 20%. But they it, it, it's, an un- it's both fortunate and unfortunate for the Leafs because... He has kind of revived Matthews's season in some sense, where like Matthews is finally has a line that is is actually succeeding to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unfortunate in that like he, he is definitely pricing himself out of what the Leafs are comfortable with, and it's not like he's a bad player on a heater. He is a good player who looks even better than he is because of this shooting percentage run. Yeah. And that's too bad. You know, you always prefer if you can to negotiate with guys when they're kind of at lower value, but you can't always do that. You know, we talk about the Nazem Kadri contract where we got him at what I think is a great discount, partly because, um, <laughs> I don't think that negotiation was super well handled by his agent, to be totally honest with you, but also because he signed yeah. at like the absolute nadir of his value. Um, so yeah, you know, I think um, Janssen is probably pushing himself out of the two range into the mid to low threes. I still don't think, you know, it's out of the question to keep him at like a three million or like a low three. But it's really in that range now for us where, like, e- even an increase of a couple hundred thousand dollars tightens the vice and really makes it difficult to do. Um, and, you know, the Mitch Marner thing is still hanging over all of this where we're hearing the Leafs want to open the, the nines. Uh, Mitch Marner's agent is around the 11s. Well, 
Oh, Christ. Y- you know, and you know, all we can do is hope that this ends up a lot closer to the team ask. I just, yeah. you know, and, and so, you know, you're thinking... Man, there's going to be, like, four players better than Mitch Marner who signed this offseason for less than him, who are RFAs. And, like, I don't... Again, I don't mean that as a slight on Marner, who is a brilliant player. Yeah. He's very, very good. But, like, he should not... It, it, it's going to be weird to me if he makes more than Rantanen and Point and Ajo. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, now, granted, it's... Like, look at Mark Stone. Mark Stone is definitively a better winger, and he was signing in anticipation of being UFA. He went for 9.5. Yeah. Like, you know? How can you... Oh, my God. This is going <laughs> to annoy me to no end. Because we're going we're gonna to end up paying $10.5 for Mitch Marner. Yeah. And... It's Mitch Marner, so you're never upset with that because you ha- means you have Mitch Marner on your team. Yeah. But that is like we're losing value there. Yeah, and, and you know the value is Andreas Janssen, or the value is whoever else. And you know I, I hate to crow on this a little bit, but you know when people talk about overpaying for Austin Matthews and stuff like that, you can still say like, look, I think this was the best that they could have done in the circumstances. That's hard to prove. I lean the other way, but it is hard to establish. But when you say like, oh. Are you worried about overplaying the best player? Yes. Because when you lose it, it's not just like some dollars and cents calculation. It's look at this good player we don't have anymore. And again, big picture, still really good. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. I don't want to suggest Andres Janssen is like irreplaceable in the sense of like we can't win without Andres Janssen. Of course we can. But he's useful and good and... We are kind of a little bit squeezed right now. I mean, the thing we keep thinking is that if we can just get through the last year of the Marlowe deal, yeah, um, then a lot of this gets more viable. But uh, it's tough, man. You know, I start doing the math in my head when we talk about people saying you can't keep everybody. And the truth is when people originally said the least will never be able to keep everybody, what they meant was the big three. And that was always doable and that's going to get done. But it it does mean, you know, it's the other guys who you can't keep. And I think when it comes down to it, Kasperi Kapanen is younger. He has that dynamite speed. Um, He just looks to me like the more valuable player by a little bit, even though Janssen isn't the natural left wing. The age is the the, kind of critical thing there, right? Like. there's a difference of 20 months between them and in those and it's not like 20 months when one's 28 and one is 26 it's 20 months when one's 24 and one's 22 yeah you can expect some development from the 22 year old right and um the fact that Johnson's on a heater and Kapanen currently is not Mm -hmm. I think is persuading people that Johnson is clearly better than Kapanen I don't think that's the case I think they're probably I'd say Kapanen's a little better yeah uh, especially when you take into account his uh defensive and penalty killing value as well as like, I mean, his possession numbers are, are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. E- better than Janssen's. And Janssen's are also quite good. So, And and, and uh, Kapanen is, like, one of the best breakaway threats in the league. Outside mm-hmm. of guys who were, like, elite, elite talents. Like, he gets those chances um, legitimately on a consistent basis. And he can convert on them. So, like, I think that, um, you know, Kapanen shooting 12-13%. For career, he's at 123 like, I think that that's entirely possible. He's going to be able to maintain that for quite some time. So, yeah, I, there's so much like about Kappen. And I mean, look, uh, 
it, it pains me. It really does. Like, I don't like the idea of losing Janssen. I still think they can come to an agreement. But I'm starting to see it as, let's go with at least as likely as not that he's gone, which sucks. But Yeah, I mean, it feels like the Leafs can't really afford more than, like, the low sixes between him and Kapanen combined. Yeah, if there's some sort of distribution of money um, there. Now, you know, I, I think... Um, the Zach Hyman contract, for example, I think that's actually like a pretty good value deal. Like, yeah, uh, I, I think so. Given his strengths, I I, I think people I, there, there's undeniably undeniably some truth to the fact that Hyman has perhaps had the best quality of teammates you could possibly have had without being a star player yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's a, a complimentary piece, but you know, he's gonna put up forty points a year with those guys playing zero power play time people always get on his offensive production and i'm always like well it's not you know it's not awful <laughs> you know like it's fine yeah it sounds like damning with faint praise but it's like you only have a finite amount of resources to address the flaws on your team mm-hmm. and it's like look that line is fine it's producing a lot it's a very good line Hyman is not an issue there. I agree. In a perfect world, I'd like to have someone better there. Yeah. But we only have so many resources, and I'd rather put those resources to other areas of the team than making our best line slightly better. Yeah. Um, you know, that's basically what it comes down to, is every line he signs, every line he ends up on seems to do pretty well. And even though he's the third most important player consistently, I'm fine with that. So, so people talk about the squeeze there, and then but I'm thinking like, that's a pretty valuable deal, but he doesn't have the offensive upside of Andreas Janssen. And as you say, that's what drives value. So, yeah, you know, it's hard to find exactly where this is going to come down, especially considering it's still kind of in flux. Like I saw a list of comparables for Janssen about a, a three or four weeks ago, and they were all like in the three million-ish range, like right around three million flat give or take a few hundred thousand. But, you know, it's still kind of evolving and it's hard to know really where it's going to go. And it's hard to know where the Leafs can get him. This is going to be a tricky summer for Kyle Dubas. I mean, the job is probably never easy, but he's really, you know, he's got to finish Mitch Marner and then he's he has to hone in on, okay, how many complimentary pieces can I keep? And I think Nick Patan is certainly a level of insurance there um, to give us some offensive upside that we might not otherwise possess. So, yeah. I I wish that, like, that didn't end on such, like, a slightly depressing note in terms of, like, I really like Andreas Johnson, but... Yeah, and this can also be remedy. So, Brown is gone. That frees up... I think so. ...kind of yep. $2 million right there, but that $2 million is going to go to Mitch Marner's $45 million contract. <laughs> Um, and then Zaitsev. trading Zaitsev, I think, is basically a must. Yeah, yeah, I think you you have to do it. Like we, you know, we've talked about his value and like how we're quickly evaluate correctly evaluating him or not in some circumstances. That you know that defense is not gonna be a lot of fun. Maybe it's more it's better now with Muzzin on than it would have been otherwise. But I I just think that in terms of if you can get out of that contract now, you probably have to do it. Uh, just because you need to make some choices here. Uh, so I guess we're going to see if that can be done. I will be honest. I really don't know what the market is 
for Nikita Zaitsev. It's just so hard to parse. Like right-handed defensemen are kind of always in demand. He plays a lot of minutes on a good team. His point production has basically been nothing um, this year. Although if you put him on a power play, I'm sure that would change, you know? Mm-hmm. So kind of hard to, to put together uh, how that would go. I mean, you know, the, the Pens just made a trade for Erica Branson, which is like, that's like breathtakingly dumb, actually. Like, that's a really, really bad trade. Um, and I don't mean that to say that it's equivalent. And unfortunately for us, Nikita Saitsev is not like gigantic or like insanely physical, although he is 6'2 and he throws more hits than any other Leafs defenseman except Muzzin. And he also has the disadvantage of being Russian. Ah, you know, there's the tragedy. Can you ever really trust Russian defensemen aside from all the Russian defensemen who have been good? But, uh, yeah, that's just a long way of saying that we're really hoping that someone values him more than we do. And I honestly can't say. You only need one GM to do it to be willing to take him on. But whether that GM exists, we don't know. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like if, if his name was, like, I don't know, Nick Zaminer, he, he would probably be more highly sought after. It feels like, yeah, it, it still feels like there is that, that bias there. And it's unfortunate. So, but, yeah, either way, we have to we have to move that contract somehow. And then like, we're talking about keeping Janssen, and that kind of maintains the status quo among these forwards. Mm-hmm. But then our defense is getting worse because we haven't talked about the fact that, hey, we might be losing Jake Gardner. And, I mean, look, if these last two games haven't convinced you that, hey, Jake Gardner's kind of good, mm-hmm. or, like, at least he's useful on this team, I don't know what will. Because, no, I love Martin Marinson. <laughs> I don't want him to play 20 minutes a night. No. Right? He, and he's a seventh he, he did, he, Yeah, he didn't last night, to be clear. But, like, I, I don't want to have to play him that much. No. Right? Um, and the Leafs' defense has been so error-prone in these last few games. And, like, it, it's funny that they've... That they're being so error-prone in the absence of Gardner, because that's what people criticize about him. But, you know, Gardner, by and large, does things well, does things right. His his shot numbers this year are actually, like, in line with his career highs. He's been excellent this season. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, given the, the choice, I, you'd rather keep Gardner than, than Janssen, wouldn't you? Like, just given where this team's weaknesses are, I think Gardner's a better player. And it's never a choice as binary as Gardner versus Johnson. But, like, I'd rather allocate that money to the defense. The thing is, I would. And I probably do end up saying, okay, yeah, keep Gardner. But the difference in age and Gardner's back issues make yeah, it a bit of a fraught decision. But, you know, probably, yeah. The only thing that I want to note, especially about Jake Gardner, and I think that these last few games, as you say, have been a good example of that, is that somebody has to make the plays. Like, somebody has to handle the puck. And you can say... I wish Jake Gardner didn't sometimes pass it to the other team. Yeah, me too. Don't get me wrong. But the guy who handles the puck is going to be the guy who gets tagged with a lot of errors. And you can be kind of a secondary or passenger defenseman who doesn't do very much and doesn't handle the puck very much. And you will be less memorable in terms of your mistakes as a defenseman because of that. Like Igor Zaganov who just doesn't, like, he's kind of just doesn't do very much. Um, mm-hmm. And he's a fine enough sixth defenseman doing not very much. I don't have a problem with him. But I, I think that, honestly, what you're going to see is, like, any time Jake Gardner is absent, 
other people are going to have to do more stuff with the puck and other people as a consequence will make more mistakes. Like the, the biggest thing about Jake Gardner has always been, there's a certain amount of um, errors and whatever that just go with the territory and you just have to take the good with the bad. But that's true of all defensemen is that if you put them in high responsibility situations, they're going to make a certain number of mistakes. And so we're going to see that, I think, more and more next season because I do anticipate he's going to be gone. So, yeah. Yeah. Have fun with that. Fun times. Yeah. Anyway, you know, for a week where the Leafs won three of the four games and handily outscored the opposition in those three, uh, that ended up on a light, little bit of a down note. But uh, still, by and large, hey, it's good. We can beat up on the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of joy to be found in that. Um, so we, we didn't mention this, but we are legally obligated to. We'll get sued if we don't. Um, trust me, guys. Next week is the week where William Nylander shooting percentage regresses. It's happening. <laughs> I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know what? He's had, like, what? I think 13 points in his last 17 games. So he yeah, is... Yeah, his, his point production's actually been decent. Yeah, like, so he's now... He's producing, um, which is fine. But some of the plays... I think... He, he, even if you look at it, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Even if you look at it over the course of the whole year, he's his even strength scoring is like a second liner. Yeah. Which is, I mean, certainly we expect him to be higher than that. But considering how bad his puck luck has been, and he bears some responsibility for that too. It's not entirely percent luck. It's not entirely luck. Yeah. But considering that, I, I'm not really disappointed with his play. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> last night he he got it on just this gorgeous breakaway and just like ring the ring the post. And I remember yeah. thinking... He made, he made Rasmus Dahlin look slow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's... You know, we talk about how fast Kasperi Kapanen and uh, these guys are. And you know what? Kapanen is like a monster. But it can be easy to forget that Nylander is like a fast skater. You know? <laughs> like, he's a really good athlete. I don't know if you've heard. But, uh, yeah, you know... It's fine, is what I'm saying. It's fine. He's doing about as much as I can kind of hope with Marlowe and Brown as his wingers right now, which are, you know, that's not as much to work with as I would like in the offensive zone. But uh, yeah, that line desperately needs someone who um, can take shots and can take shots from good areas. Like Nylander is a decent shot generator, a good shot generator, but he's not amazing at it. And his shot has never been as successful as we would have assumed or liked it to be cadre mm-hmm. is a is a great uh shooter both in terms of volume and efficiency mm-hmm. so like I, I it never made sense to me in the previous years why those two had bad numbers together and this year they've they've shown that it was probably just a small sample fluke or leo komarov one of the two um so it when cadre comes back um that line becomes way better assuming it's like marlo cadre nylander mm-hmm. i'm happy with that line that's a highly above average third line yeah no question but until until then, it's it's kind of like, and Nick D'Souza had a fun tweet where he said like William Nylander with play, playing William Nylander with like Marlowe and Brown. He had the gif of Millhouse throwing the frisbee to himself. <laughs> yeah, just like you know, there's only so much you can do. Uh, yeah. So, and hey, I thought Marlowe had Marlowe has looked less out of place to me on that line than Brown. Yeah, I would agree. I still think Marlowe has a bit of offensive. Talent. He still has like the hands. Residually. He still has hands. He still has, hands don't yeah. leave. Yeah, and he's still like he still can show some speed and some athleticism at times. Where you're like, you know what? 
I can live with this. Um, Brown just is... I don't know. I, I've mentioned this before. I worry that I'm taking an evil eye to Brown now and I'm just not seeing him in a fair light anymore because he frustrates me so much in the offensive zone. You know, like I worry that like I'm legitimately now skewing my own perception of him, but he just looks like useless as an offensive winger. He just doesn't do anything well. Yeah, no, he he, he really, really doesn't. It, it's, it's so frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'd be less frustrating if, there was another person for Nylander to bounce off of, but Marlowe at this point is kind of a finisher and nothing else. Yeah. He doesn't add a lot to transition or, like, cycling play or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you play... If you had, like, Janssen there yeah. instead of Marlowe, I think Nylander and Janssen could bounce off each other well. And then Brown still would be useless, but, like, <laughs> you have... He, he needs to bear less of a burden at that point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But on this line, because Marlowe isn't good enough at this point in his career to like be a huge secondary offensive contributor you need brown to do something and he's not doing it yeah i i think you know connor brown on teams less stacked than this one he's a completely legitimate third liner Mm -hmm. um if you you know if edmonton somehow came across him he's probably more than that like and this is not me just dunking on edmonton like that's a legitimate appraisal of their winger depth same with vancouver you know there are a lot of teams where connor brown could play up the lineup, um, legitimately so. But on our team, I, I think he, he's really a fourth liner. And I think even with some pending subtractions, he's still really a fourth liner just because there are other guys who can maximize offensive contribution. So, yeah. Yep, I agree. Well, All right, so was there anything else you wanted to discuss? Nothing especially pressing. I am in my customary mode of I should write something soon to justify my existence on the blog, but I haven't decided what it's going to be yet, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, um, pretty much the same here. I think once Kadri comes back, I'm going to do kind of a game-by-game review of all of Nylander's time at center. I did something similar last year, and people seem to enjoy it, and you also learn a lot going kind of game-by-game because there's, you know, last year it was he had he played like eight games at center. This year, it'll probably be around the same, maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not too difficult to go through all of them and kind of form your opinions. But uh, I, I've been impressed by that, and I expect I expect I'll be impressed if, when I look into it more deeply as well. But yeah, that's um, that's all from us. You can find all of mine and Fuleman's stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.